Hello, and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from Jennifer Collins from ABC Australia, Jennifer Detman from CBC in Canada, Eli Lehrer from History and Victoria Noble from Discovery about how the global unscripted business has changed as a result of the events of 2020 and their commissioning strategies for beyond. Content London On Demand, the virtual version of C21's annual international TV conference, took place online this year featuring a range of keynote speakers, panel discussions, case studies and exclusive digital premieres. Jennifer Collins, Head of Factual and Culture at ABC Australia, Jennifer Detman, Executive Director of Unscripted Content and Chair of the Documentary Channel at Canada's CBC, Eli Lehrer, Executive Vice President and General Manager of History in the US, and Victoria Noble, Vice President of Original Factual Content at Discovery, spoke with Clive Whittingham. These four leading international unscripted commissioners talked about how the global unscripted business has changed as a result of the events of 2020, addressing inclusivity and changing audience demands, and their commissioning strategies for the next year and beyond. We do want to look forward, but it's been a hell of a year, uh, 2020, for a variety of reasons um, that we won't go into in any great detail. But I just wonder from each of your points of view, and I'm going to start with Jennifer Collins down in Australia, just how has 2020 been for your channel? Any particular successes or lessons that you've managed to pull out of a year of of crisis? I mean, how would you go about summing it up at the ABC? I I must say, first up, I've been at the ABC, I've had a career at the ABC, been off in the independent sector and have only returned to the ABC in the last four months. So returned mid COVID. You know, it's been really tough. And, um, you know, I think Australia has done uh, comparably quite well. But, you know, it's been really hard keeping on that commissioning pipeline. And uh, the slots are still there and, and, you know, ready to be filled. And it's really hard keeping everything on track and working out which of our shows that we can keep in production and which ones we really just have to pause on while still supporting the independent community. The good news for us is that under my remit, you know, I have a lot of the specialist contents. So, for example, science content, the audiences have just been coming to us in droves. So I think at this time, particularly, the public broadcaster has been a broadcaster that audiences have really turned to for informative, you know, trustworthy content. So in some regards, you know, we're seeing massive figures in terms of viewers coming for that sort of content. But yeah, it's been a a rough ride. It has been quite a year for for public broadcasters, something of a renaissance. Jennifer, um, over over in Canada, how how has 2020 been for for you guys at CBC? I'd say everything that the other Jennifer said, we're dealing with the same sort of thing. I think, you know, I'm always, I'm a glass half full sort of person, so I try to find the positive. I think that we have learned uh, different ways of production through this. I think that will carry forward in the years to come that will make us be more cost effective. I'd say the other thing too is we always like to think we're nimble, but sometimes big broadcasters, we aren't always. This has forced us to be nimble. This has forced us to uh, really develop those muscles to try, to iterate, to pivot. And I'm hopeful that's something that will carry forward because it's so important as we're, we're serving our audiences that we take that stance because audience patterns and behaviors are changing so much. I think that's really uh, key key for us to continue going forward. Eli, I remember talking to you maybe uh, a couple of months ago about where history was in all of this. What's the situation now as, 
uh, for your for your network as 2020 turns into 2021? Yeah, I mean, look, we obviously had to pivot aggressively like everyone else. All of our plans for the spring and summer had to shift. What that has ended up doing is put a tremendous volume of programming on the slate for 21 because all of those shows that we weren't airing for the past six months because we couldn't produce them have now gone into production over the last few months. And as both Jennifer's pointed out, we've had to adapt and evolve how we produce them. But I think if I looked, we probably have more shows in production at this very moment than we've had during any other part of my tenure. And that is going to, if I had to look for silver linings in a terrible year and a global pandemic that's cost so many lives, the fact that we will have all of this kind of built up content from the past six to nine months coming to our air over the next year is a good thing. And then there's also been other silver linings. We had a project, a multi-part documentary on Ulysses S. Grant that aired for us in May and did spectacularly well. And that was oddly because there was so much I mean, it happened to be a good project, but there was very little other original content in the ecosystem at that moment. All of the sports that would normally occupy the male viewer, those weren't happening. So we were able to get a much bigger audience simply because the available content had been so affected by the pandemic. And Victoria at Discovery, I mean, did you find that same thing that male viewers with with no sport to watch sort of flock into your channel? And and how has it how has it been for you guys? We did, yeah. I mean, I think firstly, um, I've been incredibly I'm incredibly proud of how our producers and talent and team have adapted to the challenging conditions, filming conditions this year, and we are up and running with most productions. So now, so that's very exciting. I think. The truth is there were a lot of eyeballs on screens and we've seen some incredible ratings this year. You know, Discovery Channel audiences internationally, um, I think they're up 29% year on year and Quest has had its uh, delivered its best performance ever. So we've really seen ratings uh, rise. And I think, you know, some of the content that we've been producing actually has been particularly appealing during this time in that, you know, there's a lot of escapist TV, hobbies and heritage and those sorts of things. This sort of warm bath viewing that we've got on Quest. And I think our viewers have really enjoyed that during this uh, very challenging year. And of course, the impacts are going to continue in terms of how we're filming and and how that that impacts I guess the type of some of the types of programming that we can make going forward in 21. Obviously some production was delayed and things that you would have expected to deliver maybe in the autumn or the fall didn't deliver. How have you gone about coping with that? Is it repeats or clever scheduling? I'll maybe I'll maybe start with Victoria and work back along the line. How Victoria how did Discovery deal with with not having stuff delivering when you when you thought maybe it might? But we were really lucky we commissioned some shows uh, a show, World's Greatest Cars, and that's a kind of archive-based show. And that is working with our existing and new motoring talent and using, you know, put together in an edit, really, that, that those interviews can be filmed at home. So we've created series like that. So archive-based, not, not, not repeats, but actually new footage. We've created um, Salvage Hunters. There were a lot of picks and buys that we hadn't yet stitched together. So we used those to create a series. So, you know, w- there were opportunities for us to create content. Producers have been so creative in this, right? And um, Eli, was that, is that similar for 
for history, how have you how have you played it? You've got this stack of content for 2021, but how did you play your scheduling over the past? Yeah, no, it's really a little bit of everything. We were lucky in that we have certain long running shows where we had finished episodes ready to go. And those those carried us through a number of months. We did some reversioning of old shows where, you know, you re-edit, you glue certain things together to make something new. And then there were producers. Um, a great example is Jane Root at New Utopia, who came to us with incredibly creative ideas. She had done a big project for us 10 years ago uh, called America, the Story of Us. And she worked to completely reconceive that into a new six hour special called America, Our Defining Hours that they were able to produce at the height of COVID between April and June and deliver for us to air on July 4th. So yeah, it's been amazing to see how producers have evolved, how creative they've gotten, how nimble they've become with producing under all of the constraints they face. CBC, Jennifer, as you will be forever known for the next 45 <laughs> minutes at least, as, is it just a case of, uh, of cramming in more news and, and COVID-related uh, current affairs stuff to to fill the schedule or is it is there more to it than that as a public broadcaster? We had, um, you know, similar to Eli, we had lots of finished programming. We were very lucky with that. And um, it didn't take us long. We paused for a bit. So that held us for, I'd say, the number of months through the summer. We had acquisitions. We had some repeats. We are up and running now. We've got live event programming that uh, we were able to do. So we're, we're, we're finding our rhythm again. We also found opportunities where we could see a need. So for example, we partnered with a big festival in uh, Canada called Hot Dogs. The festival shut down in May. People couldn't see these amazing films. So we did a whole series uh, through the spring and into summer where we were showcasing these these films that audiences weren't able to see this year. So, you know, we because COVID sort of deprived people of so much content that they would have been able to see, we were able to use a public service broadcaster to, to bring that content. Uh, to them. So we innovated and, and managed to serve our audiences for the last number of months. And and ABC, Jennifer, what strategy have you, have you been taking? Our lead time is such that the schedule wasn't impacted immediately. It is more about, you know, shows delivering for 2021. But we launched a fresh start fund for independent producers, which was, you know, a supercharged way of um, getting development going. And it was such a good time in those couple of months where production had completely halted that producers could just actually uh, have some money there to put towards developing shows. And then as soon as borders, uh, state borders started opening up for us, then we were able to get moving on productions that had been in the pause mode. So, that fund is actually, it was across all genres, so, you know, across drama, comedy, children's, factual, and that was very successful for us. And it's um, it's actually, we're seeing the projects come in now and uh, it's just been a great way of kind of kicking on the industry a little bit further. We could probably do an hour or more talking about everybody's 2020 strategy, but I am I am keen to look forward and I'm, I'm going to spend some time now digging into to your individual strategy, starting uh, with Jennifer Collins at, at the ABC. As an outsider looking in the current situation in Australia, it looks like you've coped better than quite a lot of countries with the COVID situation. Can you talk a little bit about what the situation is in Australia now, particularly with getting up and running with production? Yes, I think relatively speaking, we have. It's sort of a state by state situation. And at the moment, um, you know, the feeling is that state borders are starting to open up. So, you know, we're lucky in a way we're an island. So we were able to actually just shut that down and do community tracing. So for me, you know, 
in the middle of the factual slate. I'm looking at shows and and particularly the sort of shows that we often commission are shows where we're looking at a national approach to something. And so they're the shows that have been kind of difficult in this COVID world of can we really tell this story and do it justice right now? You know, shows that really should be shooting all over Australia, getting into regional Australia and getting right throughout Australia. So they're the sort of commissioning decisions we're making. But the good news is that, yes, the state borders are opening up and we're seeing, you know, producers now being able to travel their talent and travel their crews and actually getting to different corners of the country. And are you focusing more than you would normally on domestic content and Australian stories and Australian content rather than getting involved in international productions simply because international travel is is so challenging? Yeah, at the moment we've got a number of productions where there's an international component and so we're either trying to shoot the Australian component, hoping by the time we shoot that for the next six months or so that, you know, international travel uh, will open up to us and other projects where there is a lot of international story, we've just put on pause. So we haven't taken it off our slate. We're still funding it. We're still going ahead with them, but we're, we're pausing on them. Budgetary challenges for, for all broadcasters at the moment, whether you're advertiser or subscriber or, or public broadcaster. Again, as an outsider looking in, it seems that the ABC has, has come under quite severe challenge and threats uh, politically and budget-wise um, in recent years. Can you, as best as you can, sum up that situation and how it affects your strategy moving forward? I think like all public broadcasters around the world, the, the funding pressures on the ABC are immense and um, we have to you know, do more with, with less. We're also in a climate where there's a lot of discussion about government regulation with you know, new players in the market. We don't have content quotas in our market on streamers, for example, that have come in recently. And there's where we have a model where we use national and federal and state funding, for, particularly for our big docs. Uh, and so producers leverage off that funding uh, as well as our licence fee. That money is really under pressure because that is being split so many ways. So we are at a time where COVID hitting was excruciating for the industry. It's really, really uh, knocked a lot of the companies around. Um, having said that, like Jennifer, the other Jennifer, um, you know, we've really noticed how producers, you know, this is the great, the beauty of working in a creative industry, that at times like this where there's pressure put upon them, the, the brains and the lateral thinking has really shown that producers can really think outside the box and can pull things together in extraordinary ways. So actually the quality of the content is really pushing through still. So yeah, look, at it is, it's a tough time for broadcasters. It's a tough time for producers. The good news is that viewers want content. They want more and more content and uh, and this is our time to, to shine. And, um, you know, where one of our most successful launches has been a podcast called Coronacast, which has been a daily podcast from our science team. And it has been extraordinarily successful. So we're just trying to make the best of the situation. And I think, um, yeah, producers have really stepped up in this regard. Given, like you say, you're, there's big streamer competition. There's also recently been relaxation on local content quotas, which commercial broadcasters may be interested yes. in. As the public broadcaster, how do you compete in that market? Is it about doubling down on things like that, being a public broadcaster? Just, how does the ABC stay relevant and carve its niche in that increase? increasingly competitive environment. For us, the success of our shows that have real world impact 
has really stood out for us. So I think viewers are turning to us at this time for really quality content and that's factual and rigorously produced. And so we've got to keep our quality up. We're very lucky is that we have radio networks. We've got local networks. So I've got teams sitting in radio in science, sitting in arts in radio, audio studios, which do all our podcasts. So when we get a piece of content, for example, we've just had a series called Fight for Planet A, which is a um, talent-led factual series. We can actually make a lot of digital content that goes out on all third-party platforms as well as all of our digital platforms. And we can make radio pieces, we can make, make education pieces, and I think we can amplify that content. And that's we're using the strength of the size of the ABC and all its tentacles into different areas, but we can really leverage off that resource. So I'm looking for shows where we can keep that national conversation going longer. So it's not just about the three hours of television, but it's the content that we can create leading up to it and the content that can sit around it and can carry on. Uh, and we've been very successful in that respect. Even, you know, formats like um, Old People's Home for Four-Year-Olds was another example where that was a, you know, series which had a life much longer than the actual series itself. So let's dig down into how producers can work with you in, in 2021. Are there uh, topics, themes, uh, shows you're particularly looking for or not looking for that you could that you could put your finger on and specify for us? Yes. I mean, I commission, so I commission across um, the specialist areas of religion and ethics, uh, natural history, history, uh, contemporary arts and science. I think particularly um, what Australia has done well and, and we're looking always for co-production opportunities, particularly around uh, natural history, which, uh, you know, we've got a really good track record of working in the past with uh, international producers. So particularly natural history history projects and arts projects as well So um, and science. So any of those genres, but I think in terms of international co-pro, particularly interested in pictures around natural history. Natural history is either the best genre ever for this because it's just a couple of people filming in the middle of nowhere or the worst ever, right? Because it's international travels. You're you're leaning on the, it's the perfect genre. Yeah, well, we've got something in production, for example, which hasn't been announced. It'll be announced soon, but it's, you know, a particular animal which has habitat in several countries. So that has actually been really terrific as an international co-pro because everybody's doing their own story that's then is stitched together. So, you know, I think, again, it's about stories where there are, there's a, different ends of the story in, in different continents. So as I said, there's a sort of a very good track record of um, successful co-productions um, in natural history. What's the best way for producers to pitch you at the moment? Obviously, we don't have these big television events. There's no rosé on the Quasette anymore. How should people get in touch and what do you want them to bring to a pitch? Uh, we have an independent producer's website address, which is abc.net.au forward slash independence. But people can just email a pitch. The, the thing with us is that if it is a full commission, we have to have an Australian partner. So we commission the Australian partner and then they bring on their co-production partners. If it's an acquisition, we acquire from the international marketplace. And often we do things which are more like an enhanced acquisition where it might be a little bit more than a completed project, but it might be some top-up money to finish, complete an edit or complete a component. So there's sort of three layers of commissions really. But if it's a full commission, it needs to be a true co-pro with an Australian partner. And I, finally, um, the issue of diversity on and off screen has, has 
has been massive during 2020, more so than really I can ever recall in television. As a public broadcaster, what influences is diversity, if I can give it just a, a really generic general term, what influence is that having on your commissioning plans? Uh, it's the front of all of our minds. So every commission that we do now, we're looking for diversity in the team and uh, diversity on camera. So it's absolutely crucial for us to get diversity into our programs and to reflect contemporary Australia. That's uh, that's great to hear, Jennifer. Other Jennifer, Jennifer Detman at CBC. If I can, if I can move on to you, Canada is a co-production destination. I feel like I've chaired that panel maybe a dozen times in my uh, career at C21. But 2021 feels like co-production is going to be massively important. Getting projects financed. How can producers come and work with CBC on that front? Is that is that going to be a main part of your strategy for next year? Absolutely. As ABC Jennifer said, I mean, we do lots of different types of one-off co-productions. So our science strands, nature strands, our feature documentaries. But um, I'll talk specifically about our limited series. Um, we're really looking for more of those. And really, I would say, you know, similar to what Jennifer said, it's really important that there's a Canadian producer involved. But how it comes to us, it comes to us in, in a myriad of different ways. So it can come from a, a, a with an idea from a Canadian producer, a Canadian producer who comes with an international partner attached or not. Sometimes it comes from distributors. And we have MOUs now with other public service broadcasters. So BBC, ABC is one, ZDF. So there are more conversations happening between broadcasters now to say, what are you working on? So we're, we're talking at that level as well. So I, I think, again, being a nimble and open to all different ways is the name of the game right now. It's a very competitive market. You know, we are up against a lot of streamers who take all of the global rights. So we are trying to find new ways that we can all work together to uh, bring our audiences the best ideas. What can you bring to the table in a co-production and what do you need to to take with regards to, to rights? The rights question, it's really, it depends, right? It's It really depends on how much we are putting in, if we are a top up, if we are, you know, first in it, it, every deal we do is a different deal. And um, so we don't have a one size fits all approach. Similar to Australia and probably why you've chaired the panel about Canada as a co-production partner like Groundhog Day year after year is because we have those soft dollars, right? We are a market which is different, but similar to the US. And so English speaking, um, certainly CBC, of course, I've got my counterparts, Radio Canada, but we've got a lot of soft dollars, tax credits, funds that you can access in partnership with us when there's a Canadian partner. So I think that I, I think is really appealing for these big event series. Of course, we're looking for series that big production of values that are really expensive. They have to be events. So we're trying to cobble together deals as best we can. And so Canada can bring those extra dollars to the table. Does it have to be a Canadian story or have Canadians within it? I'd say that when we look at an idea, we're looking for ideas that are, you know, big global events, that there could potentially be a Canadian angle in it, or at the very least, it's something you're landing in a conversation that's happening in our country. So we look for those two angles in, I would say. We just did a big production with Epics and Fremantle called Enslaved that was uh, EP'd and hosted by Sam Jackson. And of course, it was talking about the transatlantic slave trade. So that is a global 
moment in history that shaped everything of where we are today. So something like that, it had very little specific Canadian in it because it was really about where these ships traveled from Africa, bringing enslaved people. They didn't come into Canada, but so much of the understanding of who we are today came from that moment in history. So we each story is, is different, but that has to land in, in a conversation that's happening in our country. COVID content or no COVID content? I, I wonder where public broadcasters land on this. Because, you know, I hear a lot about escapism from commercial broadcasters and streamers and they're not interested in being pitched COVID content. Where where do you guys land on series that might have pandemics as their topic or at their heart? In my area, you know, I have both ends of the spectrum. I have, because I, I do the, the factual documentaries as well as I do the entertainment. So I have the content that helps you understand the world and the content that helps you escape from the world. So I've got both ends of the spectrum. I would say that we have a number of documentaries that are related to COVID right now. But as we go forward, we'll do tangentially related. I mean, it's I'm sure we're all feeling this. You're sort of trying to peer through the fog to plan out the best you can two years from now without having a sense of where you're going on this journey. But I'd say in the short term right now on our documentary factual side, we're sort of full up on on things that are on the nose about COVID at, at this time. I think we're all full up with that to be honest with you so let's talk about entertainment formats where you are partnering uh, with some quite big name international partners Warner Brothers uh, Phil Gurin in the US can you talk about uh, whether you're looking for for other partnerships and the types of format that you're looking for the ways that you partner on those yeah sure we I mean back in the day when we all remember we would be having rosé and getting all those those formats pitched to us but you know year over year we found because we're a public broadcaster we were very specific about what we're looking for. And when I would go there, I was finding it harder and harder to find things that would work for us. So we were spending, we've been spending more time developing original formats. That is hard work. It's expensive work. So we're absolutely looking for for partners and partners that bring that international intelligence to it. So um, as you mentioned, Warner Brothers and Phil Gurren have been helpful, but we're in um, so many conversations with both our public broadcaster partners, as well as distributors about about how we might work together. We've got an, another deal that we're just shaping. And so it often comes from conversations, just you can see where there's a need. We're all trying to get to the same place. Um, and then we craft the deal from there, but each one is is different. We're looking for, um, uh, as I said, we're looking in the entertainment formats, really escapist television. We're, we're seeing on the drama side of things, how much sci-fi right now is so very hot because I think people really just want to escape with their entertainment program programming into just a whole other world. So we're looking at in the unscripted entertainment side of things, what's our version of that? We're open to every different type of uh, content, I would say, but we want family uh, friendly, co-viewing, big event, like it's got to be a brand defining show that we're putting in the window that's sort of distinct from what we're seeing also in our in our territory. And ones that really allow a diversity of, uh, of voices to be part of the format, that's also really, really important to us. And how should people be pitching this to you same question I'm going to give everybody really because like I say we're a people business and we're used to being on a big event circuit and networking how can people get involved with you guys we have an independent producer page as well so you can you can go to the CBC independent producer page you can email me directly and I can put you in touch with the development team we pride ourselves on being very open and wherever people are from taking in their pitches and pride ourselves on getting back with prompt responses so that those would be the best ways 
Eli, uh, let's talk about history, mainly in the US, but from what I recall from when we we spoke uh, a number of weeks ago, part of your mission for 2021 is maybe more of an international flavor to the stuff you're looking for. Can you expand on that a little bit for me? Yeah, if you look at many of our big history events over the last 12 to 18 months, they've tended to be fairly US-centric in terms of the subjects we've taken on, whether it's George Washington or Ulysses S. Grant and the Civil War or even the food that built America. And I think while that continues to be fruitful territory for us, we also recognize we have 100 plus partners internationally and we have an international business that we want to make sure succeeds. And part of that is telling stories that are not necessarily centered in the US. So we're we're constantly looking to expand the pipeline of international subjects. You know, and that's everything from the, the obvious, what is a new way to do Egypt? for the History Channel or Rome or Russian history to the unexpected. I couldn't tell you what that looks like, but it's certainly a priority for us as a brand over the next 12 to 24 months to to have a little bit more of a footprint in international global history. And is the the challenge with that to put an American skew on it or just to make it work domestically for history in the US? How do you strike that balance? Yeah, no, you don't have to tell the story of Rome. I don't know that you could tell the story of Rome through an American lens. Uh, it's really finding ways that feel exciting and fresh because look, as the History Channel, we've done many, many hours over the past 20 years on some of those global history topics. So what is the new way to do it? But, you know, and I think we have seen over the years that if you tell global history well, there is a huge domestic audience for it. It's not as if the American audience only will consume American stories. Uh, It's just, again, it's finding fresh ways into familiar spaces. And can you talk a little bit about any new business models that you're looking at for, for 2021? Is it still just all out 100% commission, take the rights, you know, sign the check? Or is there a co-production focus from you guys? How are the business models changing for 2021 at History? Yeah, I think there's very much a flexibility on what deals can look like. Look, especially as we commit more dollars to premium documentary and big event series and those those come with hefty price tags when we can strike a deal that works for everyone that actually limits our financial exposure i think we're always we are more interested in looking at those deals than we we have been during any other time uh, i've been at the company now again it's a case by case basis there isn't a one size fits all model that we adhere to but certainly we're interested in in bringing on partners especially on those big event series right If you're talking about an entertainment format, we tend to want to own and control that pretty exclusively. But some of the other doc projects, we spent a fair amount of time over the last six months to a year trying to make co-production deals and figure out templates that work. And what can what can you bring to the table in that why what's the advantage of working with you but also what do you need again as best you can because i know in co-production every single deal is is different and has its own nuance oh again it varies from case to case obviously as a broadcaster we can bring a significant financial commitment and, and carry significant weight in the budget you know the right situations vary from case to case typically we are going to need to be the first window domestically 
at a minimum, often will want other rights. But again, it, it varies from case to case. And it's something where we're feeling out as we step, I think, more aggressively into this world. COVID content for you, history of pandemics or, or absolutely not? No, you know, we spent a lot of time thinking about that early on during the pandemic. And, you know, we found as a channel and as a brand, when we try and grapple with the news of the day, our audience doesn't tend to respond, right? Our, our audience, they are big consumers of cable news, whether it's CNN or MSNBC or Fox, but they don't want that from us. They want us to really look to the past, contextualize it, you know, hopefully help them understand how the past impacts the present, but they do not want us talking about the 2020 election or a global pandemic. They, if they want that content, they'll get it elsewhere. And they've been pretty definitive about that over the years. I know that you wanted to talk a little bit about Food That Built America as a, as a series that really worked for you this year. But also, can we talk about what lessons producers can take from that series, why it worked so well for you that they can maybe use when they're crafting pitches for you? Yeah, look, I think that show is emblematic of our recommitment to doing much more core historical storytelling. I think for a long time, we devoted a tremendous amount of our resources to traditional unscripted shows. And over the last year or two, we've actually seen our best results when we've gone back to our roots and done historical documentary. You know, the lessons from uh, from Food That Builds America are, are many. One is that we were able to do a big premium doc event at a relatively economical price point, And that was just purely a result of the producers being scrappy. The other is it was a subject matter that we hadn't done before. You know, history had not, we, we don't do food shows, generally speaking, but the producers were able to conceive of a lens into the food world that felt unique to us. It was six hours and it was kind of the origin stories for iconic food brands, whether it's Hershey, McDonald's, Coca-Cola. And one of the really pleasant surprises from that was it also invited more people into our tent. So there was much more co-viewing with that subject matter than we would typically see with a show. And that was really encouraging for us and something we're looking at more. And then, you know, what we've done with that show, and I don't know that we've announced this, but I don't think it's anything revolutionary. The original project was a six hour art narrative. We saw such success with it that we've commissioned more hours, but each one is a self-contained hour. So we kind of, we turned it from a, a premium doc event a limited series now into an ongoing format because at the end of the day, our bread and butter, the engine that powers our channel is self-contained, repeatable formats that we can produce in volume. And that show has evolved into one. And that's something we're really excited uh, to put out in the world in 2021. We spoke just then about how um, current affairs and the news of the day your audience, it kind of turned your audience off. Where does diversity figure in the plans of a cable net as opposed to the public broadcasters that we've already spoken to? Where is it on your commissioning plan priority list? Now, as everyone before me said, hugely, hugely important. For the last few years, we've really been striving to do better because we have to do better. And that's both 
the diversity of stories we tell and the faces and talent we have in front of the camera and behind the camera. So it, it is something we prioritize with every project we take to green light, trying to interrogate, is there enough here? Can we do it better? And I think if you look at some of the projects we've announced recently, and again, these are small steps, but Lawrence Fishburne is hosting a new anthology series for us, History's Greatest Mysteries. We've brought Morgan Freeman onto the channel. He's hosting a new format for us, Great Escapes. So again, those are those are small examples, but I think they speak to the progress we're trying to make. Best way to pitch you in history at the moment? So I don't think we have an independent producer page, although I should look into that. But certainly anyone can find me on LinkedIn or track down my email. And we do try and welcome any pitches. Uh, you know, there's a my head of development, Amy Savitsky, is always willing to take pitches. And truthfully, it's easier now than ever to pitch us or send us emails with uh, pitch documents. So we're very welcoming and uh, encourage all comers. Thank you for that, Victoria. I'm sorry to leave you to fourth, but whether I did it first name or surname, it was you fourth. So, uh, so here we go. Talk to me a little bit about um, the commissioning strategy for discovery uh, in the UK and, and Europe and, and how that fits into the international picture of what is a, an enormous US factual giant. Okay, so I guess, um, you know, I, I'm commissioning content that um, will work across multiple platforms. You know, we've got our free-to-air channels, we've got pay channel discovery, and then we've got uh, Discovery Plus, which has been recently announced. But I think at the heart of what I do and what I commission uh, uh, the the content has a male DNA, but it also has to deliver a broad audience. And I think we want to deliver scale. So if you look at a channel like Quest, uh, which has seen enormous success this summer, up 40% year on year, it's driven by some really big, long-running, returning shows. So Aussie Gold Hunters, Salvage Hunters, The Restorers, Outback Opal Hunters, which, you know, is attracting its biggest audience to date, not only here, but in Australia. So we're creating content that is working not only in the UK, but is traveling across our networks. Um, and I think, you know, for us, that's really important. If we can create ideas and productions that can travel, it works very well for us. We create for the Discovery Channel, we've got um, Ed Stafford, First Man Out, and this is our survival competition show. And we've produced the second series with our team in Asia. And so, you know, that is content as well that's sort of travels, it's played in the US. And I think that's about having authentic characters. Uh, you know, if you look at Ed, he's a really credible expert. He's not afraid to show his emotions or his vulnerability. And I think that's why he resonates so much with a modern audience. So, I, I mean, I think talent's really important as we have Richard Hammond's Big, where Richard gave us license to explore engineering in a very sort of entertaining way. And that's a series that's received a lot of press attention. So I think, you know, it's about creating noisy, entertaining, factual shows that will travel. How can you tell or what are the ingredients that make it a show that will travel as opposed to just a show that would work on Channel 4 or Channel 5 in the in the UK? Is it 
comedic talent or characters, like you said. I just I just wonder if something is set in the Australian outback. What makes that a show that's going to work outside Australia? Look, I think um, uh, you know Aussie Gold Hunters is is an amazing show, and it's just growing and growing and growing. And I think it's very relatable. You know, you've you've got families out there working hard to put food on the table. They're looking to strike it rich and secure their future. So I think a, a broad audience can relate to that. These are uh, men and women doing tough jobs. And so I think I think there are genres that have very broad appeal. Turbo is a massive genre for us. We've just recently announced the Wheeler Dealers franchise is uh, coming back to the UK. I uh, was lucky enough to look after that uh, series when it was here uh, some time ago and uh, before it moved to the US and it's coming back. And, you know, it's got massive broad appeal. It's a, it's a sort of universal language, I think. And with Wheeler Dealers, we created a spin-off show, Wheeler Dealers Dream Cars, which had heart, which felt very sort of contemporary and very of the moment, actually. And so I think, you know, it is about finding genres that work internationally, but also characters that are authentic and invested in the subject matter. And and then I think it will travel. How does your commissioning strategy divide up between your free-to-air channels, your pay channels, and now, like you say, you've got a rebrand streaming service which you will be commissioning originals for that as well so what makes the show something that's either for quest or discovery or the streamer we'll sort of share more on the kind of streamer in the coming weeks but i think for discovery i think uh, our discovery viewers are really curious about this world and they are big subjects big engineering subjects or or, or, or turbo shows or wild lives you know adventure survival and adventure is huge on discovery i think if you look at Quest, I think um, a lot of those shows are filmed in the UK, a lot of our original shows. We've created these um, sort of a super franchise, I suppose, in the way with um, Salvage Hunters. This franchise, we started with Salvage Hunters and then we created Salvage Hunters The Restorers, which took our viewers into these wonderful workshops to escape the world and spend time with these brilliant craftsmen. It's very celebratory. It's very warm bath. There's nothing edgy about Quest. It's a really wonderful place to escape to. And then we've got Salvage Hunters Classic Cars and then our new spin-off series, which we commissioned during lockdown with Salvage Hunters Design Classics. And that is a a very deeply personal look at um, the designs and objects that have captured the heart of Drew Pritchard, our antiques and salvage expert. And I think, again, it's very relatable. You know, this is the sort of the London Underground sign or a BMX bike or a Barcelona chair, you know, it's very accessible content. And I guess it's given us real scale and we've really built that franchise up. So I think there's a sense of nostalgia. They're celebrating Britain, craftsmen, tough jobs on Quest as a sort of local UK channel. But also that content is travelling. You know, the, the Salvage Hunters shows play very well in Benelux. They are moving across our EMEA networks. But I think what's important is they are formats... That deliver a co-viewing opportunity but also deliver scale we had success this year we you know precinct shows work well for us and family business and so we pushed into the farming space this year with uh boar mucky and that's our character-led farming show 
And actually, traditionally, the farming space has been quite female. And so our challenge was to make this space more appealing to men uh, and move the genre on. And we put a real emphasis on the mechanical, the engineering, the build and tech stories, father and son relationships. You know, it's tough jobs. It's celebrating the British countryside, human endeavour. Again, men and women out there putting food on their own tables, but actually putting food on our tables as well. And of course, farmers, real heroes this summer. So I think, you know, that series really captured the sort of reality of modern day farmers and rural Britain, but in a very celebratory way. And I think in terms of bringing in an audience, uh, 55% male, 45% female. So it was a really good balance for us. So it was great to sort of push into those new precincts. Um, And I think that's definitely an area that we're looking at in terms of family business, new precincts, you know, how can we look at engineering in a broader, more accessible way? Co-production or or do you just get involved with other discovery channels like in the US and around the world for for that? Or are you going to get into this co-production trend in 2021? Uh, I think there's a there's a massive opportunity. You know, I think I think we work with many different models. And, you know, if there is content that is appealing to a number of our regions, then we'll, we'll, we'll work with them on sort of financial models. But we also, you know, just take UK rights for some of our quest shows. We don't always um, fully commission. So I think there's lots of opportunities. I think if producers or, or distributors are coming to us with great ideas, it's about finding a model that works for all, really. And I'm hearing escapism, feel good. I think you used the term warm bath a couple yeah. of times rather than COVID and the harsh realities of, of the world we're living in. That's That seems to be a pretty firm strategy. Yeah, that's right. Um, look, we're trying to create returning content. Uh, and I think for us, um, we are trying to create um, evergreen content and content that isn't reflective of um, the very difficult situation many people find themselves in at the moment. Diversity, influence of diversity on commissioning plans. I've asked, I've asked uh, the, the other panellists this. Where does it figure in your thinking? It's incredibly important. Diversity on screen and off screen. And I, look, we're working um, with a number of international producers. I think um, some of the areas that we're telling stories in allow us to work with diverse talent on screen and off screen. I think, you know, Aussie Gold Hunters is, is a perfect example where we've got the most amazing cast uh, and, and Indigenous characters and who come to these stories with a very different perspective and have a different relationship with country. It's a wonderful opportunity to celebrate different backgrounds and different stories and bring those to our audience and of course be reflective of audiences. Best way to pitch you or your team or both? Top line in an email, you know, sell it to us in a in a line and uh, we'll happily discuss and um, there's opportunities for paid development we work very closely and collaboratively with our producers so please get in touch finally guys i wanted to, uh, to bring it back around as, as we finish the uh the panel discussion and thank you all for your, your time and your insight uh it's been fascinating and hopefully really useful for our audience but i've heard doing a lot of interviews in lockdown i'm, I'm on zoom calls all the time at the moment and i, I hear a lot about 2021 being the so-called the year of unscripted maybe as it was after the writer's strike obviously scripted getting a big drama with a load of extras up and running is incredibly challenging uh, during this period which might open up slots for unscripted content that that wasn't there that's that's the theory i wonder whether you guys 
all agree and what we need to to make that happen. And I'll go back down under and start with Jennifer Collins uh, at the ABC. We'd all like to agree with that that it's going to be the year of unscripted. I think I think it's going to be the year of content. Really, I think you know viewers have now found an appetite for more and more entertaining content, and we've just got to keep on delivering that. And um, from my corner of the world, uh, we've got a fantastic slate for 2021. We're building shows now for 2022. And yeah, I can't wait to send them out to audiences. Jennifer Detman, are you are you eyeing it up as a as a big year for for unscripted? Always, I feel like um, this is a very biased panel that you're asking that question uh, to. Yeah, I hope so. I think, as Jennifer said, I, I think it's such an opportunity for us to take advantage of uh, people looking for fantastic content. And what we're seeing too is those normal patterns are breaking. So it's just for us to be able to take advantage of the new audience behaviors that are forming and serve them up really good content. I do think that at a time when being nimble is so key, unscripted content, certainly lots of types of unscripted content, it's easier to turn that around quickly. So I do think that there are opportunities to continue over the next two years to offer the schedule with really great content that um, you can ramp up super pronto. Eli, is it is it all sunshine and happiness for unscripted next year or are there, are there, are there challenges that face unscripted as, as well as scripted? Uh, no, look, I think unscripted is, you know, arguably easier to produce in the current circumstances than scripted. So I do think that presents an opportunity and there will certainly be much more volume of new unscripted than scripted for very practical reasons. And I have been, as other people have said, unbelievably impressed with the production community and the producers we partner with and their ability to pivot on the fly and figure out how to make these shows under incredibly difficult circumstances. And I do think it is, and someone said this earlier, I think it's actually going to lead to really interesting breakthroughs in terms of production, the kind of content that's making it to air. And I think there have been some very practical changes, I would argue improvements in how we make some of these shows that will ripple through the business for a while. And I think that again, going back to silver linings, I think some of that is actually really nice. Victoria, what are your silver linings and also your your challenges for, for this so-called year of Unscripted? Yeah, look, I think um, Unscripted has been able to adapt to the current filming conditions very quickly. Um, smaller teams, more agile. They've been fast to sort of adapt and create content. So, you know, for us, I guess, for Discovery, it's most definitely, you know, a year of unscripted, especially with the launch of our real-life entertainment streamer Discovery Plus. And, of course, we are out there filming and creating uh, our returning shows and adding to those with with, with new content. So it feels incredibly exciting uh, in terms of what we've got to offer our audiences. Jennifer Collins, Jennifer Detman, Eli Lehrer and Victoria Noble talking with Clive Whittingham as part of Content London On Demand, the virtual version of our annual international TV conference, the full video version of that session and all the rest is available right now on our website to C21 Pro subscribers. That's all for this episode. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow, but in the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest international TV industry developments by following C21 online on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.